Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles' core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In series two, we worked our way through an assortment of added Beatles goodies, such as Live at the BBC, the anthology series and the movies. And now, for series three, we're looking at all the post-Beatles singles released in the decade following their breakup. As with series one, we will take five songs in random order each week and score them for music, production and lyrics to find the best post-Beatles Beatles hits. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to Series 3, Episode 4, and welcome to Mr. Paul Abbott. Pabbit. Hello. Pabbit, yes. Very good. Yes. I'm here. Hello. How are you? I, I'm fine, thank you. It's not as sniffy as last week? No. No. No one's commented on that yet, so I'm hoping I got away with it, but um, I think I was just descending into coldness. Yeah. Um, which is all past and good now. Good. So, so hopefully not too much of that. Don't forget, you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And do please drop us a review on whatever platform you're listening on if you can and like and share our posts. And please check the episode descriptions for links to our various music and other projects. Paul, anything oh, yeah. in the news? Anything anything in the news I mean, is there anything in the news at all no yeah is anything anything uh any beatles news i should probably be more specific no although when is this coming out uh we'll not be far off the release of um the revolver box set when this comes out oh. so that's quite exciting um yeah lots to be critical about with some of these things that they do or don't include in the box sets yeah but uh it's always exciting when there's something new and there's uh, a new way of looking at stuff. new way of listening at, st- at stuff. Has there been a lot of chat about that online? Or is it about... Did they do Rubber Soul last? No, they haven't done Rubber Soul yet. No, they're, so... They're going, so Revolver's coming next. And they released uh, Taxman from it, didn't they? Yes. And, that and they did people a, are, Yeah, people are talking, you know, some people are purists with the mixes, and if you change the mixes, it's not what it was originally intended. Yeah, and, this has always been the, yeah. the argument, but... Uh, as ever, nobody's replacing anything. It's just a, something different, a different way yeah. to listen. And it's going to be interesting to see how the album feels listening to something with Peter Jackson's technology on top of it, you know. Right. Or not on top of it, used to pull it apart and for the first so time. Is it, oh, they've done that on this, have they? So they've, yeah. they've split kind of previously bounced tracks back into... Yeah, that's it. Interesting, interesting. It is. It points the way forward for the next lot of reissues i should imagine i must confess i haven't listened i haven't heard the taxman mix how is that sounding well you know me i'm a big fan of the original i'm putting that in air quotes stereo mixes of everything because that's what i grew up with yeah so when things are more balanced and more logical yeah (laughs) as you you know which is kind of what giles does giles martin yeah it's always a bit of a shame to me that there isn't this weird sort of gap in the middle and, you know, everything really hard on one side or the other, because I really yeah. like that. So, yeah, well, it it's good. But, you know, and ta- tax, Taxman's great, you know, the, mm-hmm. in terms of guitar sounds and performance and all that stuff. It's going to be all the other things on that album will be more telling, I think. OK, I'll have to go and have a listen. Um, great stuff. Well, Paul, shall we do on this Beatles Day, which is the 24th of October, after yeah. all? 
Yes, indeed. Well, I, I'm doing my cheating thing of like giving you something from a newspaper on the 24th of October, okay. which means, of course, that the thing it's talking about will have happened the day before. But yeah. it's in the newspaper on this Beatles day in 1967. Yeah, that's close 1967. Okay. And this is kind of a solo Beatles thing because this is about uh, John's film, How I Won the War. Right. And so what it is, is the headline here in, the, uh, this is from the Daily Mail. Um, battle, for, for, sorry, that's just my Amer- natural reaction yeah, for to For American the, listeners or other people, that, that's not Paul just clearing his throat. That's his reaction to the Daily yeah. Mail. Yeah. The headline is, Battle After Uproar at Beatle Film. Mm-hmm. Fighting broke out in a West End cinema last night during the screening of How I Won the War, starring Beatle John Lennon. The anti-war film had been running for 10 minutes at the London Pavilion, Piccadilly Circus, where I believe Hard Day's Night um, premiered. Mm. Uh, When the trouble began, hecklers started shouting, stop this communist filth and true British people should walk out. Stink bombs were thrown, people had placards, and it was a bunch of right-wing and National Front protesters. So baddies. Yeah. We would call them the kind of people I mean, who the Daily Mail would yeah amongst their customers. <laughs> yeah, oddly yeah. enough, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, a fight, a fight broke out. Uh, an ejected heckler said, "This film is an insult to British soldiers, especially at the anniversary of El Alamein." Um, Twenty people were thrown out by police. No one was arrested. Uh, and then something from the Telegraph, anti-war film starts, fight, fighting, shouting, stink bombs and the arrival of 20 police interrupted last night's screening of Beatle John Lennon's anti-war film. A woman shouted, the National Front denounces this communist filth. And a man okay. protested through a loud hailer, anti-British rubbish. So, right. um, They're very um, eloquent, these protesters. They're saying speaking in quite long sentences, aren't they? They're, yeah, well, you know... Uh, so there you go. It was, um, I don't know if controversial is the word. I suppose it kind of was doing that. It, you know, if you've never ever seen How I Won the War. No, it's I not, haven't, no. Oh, it's worth a watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so interesting. That's what happened. That's did, so, did Lennon have anything to say about it? Do we know or did he just... No, not no. that I know of. You no. know, it wasn't like it, it was the premiere or anything like that. No. It was just a showing of it. In fact, I had a little look what was on in the cinemas around that time. So while that was in the pavilion, I had a look at, um, you could have also gone and seen in another theatre, The Dirty Dozen. Right. Uh, Dr. Zhivago was on somewhere else. Sound and Music was playing somewhere. Yeah. Those Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines. Uh, not okay. seen that for a while. A Man for All Needsdens, uh, Seasons. <laughs> um, far From the Madding Crowd and Thoroughly Modern Millie. So... But if you chose to go and see How I Won the War that night, you would have been interrupted by some National Front right-wing, yeah. um, excuse me, dickheads. Okay, well, let's get on with the first the song then, Paul. Mm-hmm. And first up, we have this song, George Harrison. This song we let be. This song, Paul. Yeah, this song. No, yes, th- this song, Paul. 
Okay, this song. Yeah, this song, Paul. Oh, it's just it was just so obvious we were going to do that. <laughs> it was just so boringly obvious. But we didn't plan it beforehand. We, <laughs> no, we, we because actually, that's how obvious it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. This song, Paul. Yes. Is an A-side by George Harrison, released on the 19th of November, 1976, on the Dark Horse label, mm-hmm. George's own record label, although I'll yep. say more about that in a minute. The flip side was a song called Learning How to Love You. It did not chart in the UK, this song, mm. which I find quite strange. This song? This song. Yeah. It got to number 25 on the Billboard charts in America, though. Yeah. It comes from the 33 and a third album, which came out on the same day that this was released. Yeah. Um, although the version that people might know from the album is slightly longer than the single version. It's got an extra bit of instrumental in it. Right. Recorded in George's FP Shot Studios. There was quite a lot going on for George this year. <laughs> George produced it. George wrote it. Or rather, he co-produced it with Tom Scott, who did all the, does all the saxophones and brass arrangement for him. Okay. Which might explain why there's some really great brass stuff on this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, woodwind, rather. Yeah. And I think this is one of my absolute favourite George solo singles. Mm-hmm. And it is very odd to think of the what was going on with George at the time, because he was uh, not in a brilliant time. No. Well, given he had, well, he had hepatitis halfway, you know, whilst he was recording the album. Right. Oh, which caused him to not deliver his album on time to A&M, who were his distributors. Right. Who then sued him for oh. not delivering an album. And they sued him for like $10 million. Blimey. And they end up having to set, settle this thing. And then he has to go off and find someone else to act as his distributor and stuff like that. And so illness, you know, Beatles separation just about done. But I think they were still battling Klein at this point. Mm. Um, you know, this doesn't chart. He's not doing well in the UK. He's He's... In court, he must have felt like he'd been in court every day since 1969, 1970. And this song's about being in court, so there you go. It is. I'm sure even more of the context will come out in the lyrics. Let's start with the music, and we have a bit of R&B. Well, Just we have, a bit. We have a lot of R&B, don't we, actually? <laughs> yeah, we do, yeah. And I suspect when you get to tell me the lineup, um, we're going to have a few Blues Brothers luminaries in the players, maybe? Well, we've mentioned before about uh, Tom Scott being part of the Blues Brothers band, although not in the film. Yeah. And it, like I say, Tom Scott co-produced this and does the sax stuff on it. So oh, he's the same guy, yeah. 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 And yeah. Otherwise, it's a band we've talked about before. It's Billy Preston mm-hmm. on the keyboards, Willie Weeks on bass, Alvin Taylor on drums, certain George Harrison on vocals, guitars, and um, some nifty tambourine work. Oh think in this one and mr eric idle doing some pepper pot voices featured voices yeah well it's um so it is r&b but it's r&b with a george twist it's got his signature kind of chord changes that defy convention and take your ear to unexpected places it's not just r&b following the the 16 bar kind of pattern is it it's um it's got george's kind of yeah tone all over it as I said before, with George's ability to pick the chord you don't expect him to, it sometimes confounds you a little when the chords don't go where your brain is telling you they should. But he makes them his own, and a few less, a few listens into this kind of starts to feel like a convention of its own. You know, a, a chord change that should always have been where you expected it to go. 
Yeah. Kind of in a way, George has like his own kind of circle of fifths just for his music. He do, no, I know exactly what you mean. So if anyone doesn't know what a circle of fifths is, that, yeah. that's perhaps not quite the right term. But you, what you're talking about is the relationship of chords to one another. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the t- typical blues format is the chord one, four and five. Mm. Like a C and F and a G or a D, a G and an A and things like that. Yeah. And chords have all this relationship. And how we know what music is, is because certain genres and styles will use them, blah, 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 blah. But you are right. Yeah. Dual, out of all of the post Beatles stuff. Yeah. And that includes all of Paul's stuff, all of John's stuff. And, and they both do very interesting and creative stuff at time. George does have his sort of own tonal take yeah. on things yeah. that none of the others do. And I think you can see that starting in things like, I want to tell you yes. where he's got like, yeah. like F natural notes against E chords and things like that stuff where, which and taking is, it only a northern song and things like that. It's he, he's, yeah. he's actually learning to to play with that as a musical language by that point. Yeah, it's wrong in in terms of you know wrong again in, ta- in air quotes type wrong. Our but. teacher Andy at school would have told you off because you're not meant to have that fifth in the bass or something like that. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but George, yeah, absolutely, yeah, George, I agree. Yeah. George has his own weird sort of tonal language and take on things. Yeah, rarely straightforwards. A, a way of shifting melodies over chords that's his signature. And the more I hear it, the more it settles okay with me because the more I get used to it and the more... You do have to get used to yeah. it. That's, that's definitely true. Um, and this is the same. The second listen was more enjoyable than the first. Now I knew where it was going, what to expect, and I imagine it will carry on that way. And it, and it has done. Um, and um, I remember it It sticks in my brain. It's heavy on bass and bass. There's a lot of <laughs> bass in there and a, and a few... <laughs> Um, a few other sea cod. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's heavy on bass and brass. You're a bass player as well. No, it's because I was going to say and brass, and then I said oh, bass. Okay, yeah. And I suppose I would have said brace then. But no, it's heavy on bass and brass and piano and sax and all things up tempo and in your face R and B, isn't it? It's yeah. It's something in George's kind of sour milk sea wheelhouse as well. That he's something he can do. He can do the quite quite. Um, if he gets if he gets his soul chops right, he does really really well. Yeah. You know, and he he taken a lot, taking a lot of influence from those sort of stacks groups and all the various things. Yeah. So it, it moves along at fair old lick. It's pretty entertaining musically. It's maybe not an instant classic because of the George thing, but it's I'm going to give it seventy two for music. It's interesting as well that especially the single version, it's it's horn led, you know, sax led rather yeah. than guitar led for a George Harrison song. You know, the album mm. version's got a little bit of guitar solo in in it. But the single version doesn't. It's proper saxophone solo yeah. fun time. It it puts me in mind of um, what whatever gets you through the night as well in that sense. As yes, the saxophone. yeah, yeah. And the, the, there's the seventies. He's knocking around with the Americans and people, isn't he? And there's a yes, there's yeah. a seventies kind of sound, isn't there? From it isn't it? It's an American seventies kind of, sound. Yeah. Anyway, on to production then, Paul. So. It's a big song and everything is punchy and bright and the bass is full and driven and matched up with the drums and percussion driving it along. Oh, um, is, who's playing the piano? You never mentioned who's playing I did, the piano. Billy Preston. Oh, doing I, is he, he's doing piano and electric organ. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so it's really, he's duetting with himself brilliantly in the way that they, they play off each other and, and the brass. Um, the, I think it's, it's well recorded. I just think George's voice gets lost in it a little. Now, you see, this is the opposite, because the last one, you said, oh, I can hear his voice all right, and I said it sounds terrible. Yeah. And on this one, I think his voice is really good and clear on this one. Well, I just think in, you know, I could have done in places with being louder or doubled. It's well, I think that, that's a universal thing with George's stuff. He's yeah. always, like, a notch lower than he should be. 
It sounds better when he's harmonising with himself. So when it, yeah, in his kind of weird Georgie chord change, Ziz sections, and it's just his voice and there's no tripling up of his voice. It's just, there's just a lot for him to be competing against. So maybe it could have been a slightly louder. I also wish the Eric Idle old kind of pepper pot interjections were slightly louder. They're, they're a bit hard to pick out. And the first time I heard, I just didn't know what that was. I could just hear yeah, something yeah, going on. And so, you know, but what do you do with that? Do you fade the whole track down for that bit? Or do you have... Is, is I, it, you know, see, it's interesting. I probably wouldn't have put it on the actual no. recorded version. I'd have left it on the video on version. The video, yeah. Where yeah. you've got someone acting it out. But it's um, it's all pretty punchy, nicely produced R&B tune, and just a slight vocal issue for me and levels. So I'm, but I'm going to give it 79 for production because it's, it's tight. In yeah, all I the think right it's, places. I think it's good. I think it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, then we will go to the lyrics then. So, lyrics, Paul. Another Harrison song. Another Harrison. Harrison. I tried to say Harrison and it didn't work. Another Harrison that made me reach for Wikipedia. Because um, there was no way I was mistaking this for being about some generic wishy-washy topic. Um, no. At first, I was worried he was doing the kind of meta, this is just a song and a song is what it is type thing that I think he's covered before in only a northern song and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, where he's also, that was mixed up with complaints about music and money. Whereas this, uh, well, it's also a song about songs and mixed up in music and money, more specifically in litigation, isn't it? So... Yeah, Paul, yeah, hitters with the low down. Well, I'm not going to do too much about it because no. at some point we will get to my sweet lord. Mm. Um, and there's plenty of other podcasts that have looked at it in detail because it's a big law case. Most people know about him getting sued. Yeah, for using the melody. Uh, so back in uh, was it '72? I think he got sued over my sweet lord sounding like he's so fine. Yeah. And it was a company called Bright Tunes Music Corporation sued Harry Songs. Action was brought claiming that song, My Sweet, my sweet Lord. My Sweet Lord. <laughs> this is reading out like, yeah. My Sweet Lord has plagiarized from He's So Fine. That's the basic thing. Yeah. Now, you could go into, we could sit here for hours talking about what yeah. is a song. You only have so many notes, you have only so many chords. Yeah, We've already talked about. Last week with um, Yoko, didn't we? Yeah, well, yeah, we did, yeah. And anyway, so George's way of dealing with this, as he says in I, Me, Mine, was basically, I wrote this song as a bit of light comedy relief and as a way to exercise the paranoia about songwriting that had started to build up in me. So because of the court case, he started to get a bit overly self-examiny. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely you would. Hmm. Um, Regardless of what you think of experts doing this stuff it's uh, yeah uh, but yeah. like i say when we get to my sweet lord i'm sure we'll talk more about this yes yeah let's but, not go over it too much yeah. but, but of course that means he's got lines in it like this song ain't black or white and as far as i know don't infringe on anyone's copyright yeah um this song will let be this song is in e and he's making a point about the fact that people like to stand up and sort of say you know hold up the sheet music and point yeah. out notes on a big my board. experts tell me it's okay yeah yeah and there's that line, this tune has nothing bright about it. As I've just said, songs, Bright yeah. Tunes was the bright name tunes. of the people suing him. Yeah. Um, the song came to me unknowingly, so about unconscious plagiarism. So all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
But I think what's really nice about the lyrics is he just has that little line, that little twist line in there. Without you, there's no point to this song. Yeah, well, who which is that makes though? it I sort of. I, I I I wasn't so sure that. So he he's blending the obvious song theme with some less direct statements. So he says that he says also this song could be you could be, and then he kind of leaves it hanging like you yeah. expected to. The rhyme would be me. But it just gives it a little bit of something else, I think. Yeah, it I just pads it out, doesn't it? Um, the video is worth a mention as well, isn't it? Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's good. It's it's a courtroom kind of scene, and it's very feels very Saturday Night Live, doesn't it? And that well, end. this is the period where he's appearing on Saturday Night Live, yeah. and they make two or three videos to promote stuff from this album. Yeah, uh, and he's you know he's doing stuff with Eric Idle, and Neil Innes directs some stuff as well for him. Yeah. And so you've got this video where he's literally, he's been brought into court. And so it's all a courtroom set. If no one's seen it, it's definitely worth a look yeah. because it's... Um, Just look you've at got... how cool George looks at that time. Oh, he well. looks so cool. He looks he, amazing. Yeah. Um, you've got Jim Keltner, the drummer. Not not that he plays on this song at all, but he's playing the judge. Yeah. Banging his gavel as, as a rhythm, you know. And a stenographer who becomes a keyboard player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A couple of people, including... Um, Ronnie Wood from the Stones playing the Pepper Pots doing the Eric Idle uh, voice right, bits yeah. and yeah it's great it's I think it's um, it's a good video it's a good video f- for a fun song and a quite a, probably George's best funny thing I think yeah I think taken along with the video the lyrics make a fun statement in response to the lawsuit it does need all the context though so taken alone it's, it's a little That's hard to, pe- to penetrate you know it's a very you need to know about George and what he's doing and everything that's going on. But, he, you know, that's not... He did it because it, it's still a good song at the end of it. So I gave it 68 for lyrics, which gives it 73 overall. If people want to, there's a few different interviews because obviously you had to do a lot of promo at the time. So there's a there's a fair bit of George from that period around you can watch on YouTube. Yeah. Um, including that he was interviewed for Granada in, in the UK, so in the north. Mm-hmm. And that's the... F- interview where you see people in the, if you've watched the anthology you see him watching some footage of them playing this boy right. and he's like he's watching an old video of him the beatles playing this boy yeah. and that's from that granada interview so that's quite f- nice to see him looking back all of you know 13 years before or whatever it was and yeah quick review from billboard in november 1976 basically saying uh, the tune is so cheerful and the words so cleverly play on the concept of trying to write an entertaining, non-controversial song that its good spirits are irresistible oh. and it didn't chart no, in the UK. It's, yeah, bizarre. Okay, then. Let's go on to the next one, Paul, which is Remember Love, John Lennon, Yoko Ono. Remember love, Paul? I remember love once upon a time it were there, just over on the sideboard next to the books and the keys. Good. Aye. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I'm a bit tired. Um, 
anyway, let's not say it's John and Yoko. Which let's say it's okay. the plastic. Let's say it's the plastic Ono band. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it is Yoko. Yeah. Okay. And John. So this this is the flip. Well, it is John as well playing on it. Yeah. But yeah, this is the flip side, the B side of "Give Peace a Chance." Ah, okay. Which is very interesting. So this is from 1969, the fourth released on the fourth of July 1969, and because "Give Peace a Chance" does well, mm-hmm. um, it means that you know that got to number two. Yeah. It's not an album track, although you can find it now on the current release of Unfinished Music number one, otherwise known as Two Virgins. Right. It is, like Give Peace a Chance, recorded in the hotel room in Canada, in Montreal. Okay. And I think recorded on the 1st of June 1969. So, yeah, this is this is Yoko's side of the single. Yeah. And what is great about it, I think is that Give Peace a Chance is a lovely, big, stompy sing-along. Yeah. And this is tiny, small, little yeah. thing. It's proper contrast. Yeah, and unlike um, Give Peace a Chance, which I know very well, this is a, a brand new one on me, because I would have never heard the single version of Give Peace a Chance. In fact, no, I, no. I would have heard it. Um, and another Yoko Sang song, which we seem to be getting a lot of, Mm. out really early doors I mean there is a lot of Lennon in there still to come isn't there um, yes so we've, we've barely had any John it feels yeah, like yeah it's just strange the way they're coming out um, but I don't mind though when they're like this I mean I would say it's a simple little song but just because it's only voice and guitar doesn't make it simple you know yeah. the finger picking backing and melody fit together wonderfully and make for an ascendant combination um, mm-hmm. I was mesmerised by this within the first half a minute and that continued until the very end um, I mean, you've said um, it's the Plastic Oko band, but you know, Plastic Ono oh band, Plastic Plastic Ono oh band. <laughs> excuse me, but it's um, it is just Lennon playing guitar and Yoko singing, isn't it? Yeah, well, the Plastic Ono oh band was just some robots, some plastic boxes, right? No, you know, that, it was a conceptual sense. thing until it wasn't. Ah, okay. So, so, I mean, as far as what John is doing, it's classic Lennon finger picking. Oh, it's Rishikesh all over. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of other things, especially Sun King. Extremely reminiscent of Sun it's, King. It's Julia and Sun King, isn't it? Yeah. But along with Yoko's sweet, high, but soft and somehow piercing voice, and I mean, in, and you might use my catchphrase, in a good way, um, she is gauging just the right amount of air to sing softly and loudly. So her soft tone sits clearly over the guitar. It's just lovely i like it's it because it has and it's very close mic'd as well so it's it's, yeah. it's quite a, a an intimate performance i love the folk ballad feel of this um kind of it's kind of folk not folk ballad folk nursery rhyme kind no, of nursery rhyme is definitely the word yeah so um and i was gonna say is it just a coincidence that this goes into a final third that sounds very much like sun king or i think he's linked? just i think he's just figuring it out as he goes Right, so okay, you know, and and that's just how it's ended up turning out that he's ended up doing those nice sort of major seventh, yeah, sort of chord things. But um, even with that, I I love it. That's great. I'm going to give it 79 for music because I think it's a lovely little song. Good, yeah. Good. Um, I mean, I'm taking you haven't got much to add to the music because we know who the players are. And... <laughs> no, there's not much to say. Yes. It's as simple it's a, as it, it's, a small it's as simple song. as it gets. Other than it can only be simpler if it was just John on his guitar. It's yeah, the, you know, it just has the, the added Yoko element. So we're just going to production then. So it's billed as a bonus track, 
on the thing I saw it on, but it's a B-side as well. So yeah, yeah. So this is on- basically demo quality-ish type of thing that they thought, well, let's put it out there. That We had a similar thing last week, didn't we? Um, you know... In a way. I mean, it's recorded by the same person who recorded Give Peace a Chance, but like I say, that's a big sing-along that took a bit more time and effort to do. And yeah. I get the feeling that they sort of worked this out a bit more as they were doing it, so that gives it a bit of that... Qual- that sort of quality of it almost being a demo. But, uh, you know, it's been recorded I, yeah. in a hotel room anyway. Well, exactly. I really like kind of scratchy, wobbly demo tracks when they're just little acoustic numbers. It feels really authentic. It feels real and unpolished, giving it kind of a raw beauty. Yes, they could have cut out John's mistake after the first repeat because he does a little bit of a mistake. And one or two little phrases where Yoko's voice catches on the way out, you know, or she licks her lips because yeah. it's so closely mic'd. Oh, it's a bit know. ASMR, isn't it? <laughs> Especially given it's hard panned yeah. left and right as well. Yeah. yeah. I was doing some ASMR then, by the way. I wasn't. That was why I was doing that noises. Right. Yeah. No, but then, but then we would lose the intimacy, wouldn't we, if we kind of cleaned it all up and sterilised it. The truth yeah. of this performance is in, in all those bits. Whether they did this in one take or they tracked it, it doesn't really matter. It's some fussy yet good music. It's the musical equivalent of an indie film that cost a few thousand pounds to make being as good as a multi-million pound blockbuster. Mm-hmm. its soul is in the right place and they capture that here so my default score for doing what it needs to do is 75 but for the choice to keep it as it is and not go over the board with it not cut all the bits out which I think is exactly the, the right thing to do with this I'm going to raise that to 79 for production wowzers I just think it, it, it it's that decision that this is that's fine it is what it is it's good yeah. I like it so it was recorded by a chap called Andre Perry well who recorded the first side. So he's had a mobile recording studio, uh, okay. Les, Les Studio. Right. Um, and he says, I spent four hours doing the B-side of the 45, which was then called Remember Love with Yoko Ono. And that was really a very sweet moment. I spent four hours with them, just the two of them and myself recording this. And she did a beautiful, beautiful version of it. And oh, so that's so just a nice spent thing for him. four hours on this, so that's mainly going to be takes, isn't it? I would have thought. I would have thought so, Rehearsals yeah. and practices. Well, we we'll try this, try that, listening back. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's go into lyrics then, Paul. So, I mean, it's simple words for what is ostensibly a simple folk um, nursery rhyme, style, melody and pattern. That kind of repetition. Remember love, remember love. Love is what it takes to sing. And then you repeat that with meet, live, dream, see. Tie, which I find is an interesting one. I get all of them other than tie. Love, it, love is what it takes to tie. I mean, I suppose bind. I think if you if you yeah, treat I think it in those sense, bond or bind. Yeah, it does feel quite a bit like a piece of Yoko's art and some yeah. of her books and some like the grapefruit stuff. You know, when you have that, those sorts of simple statements. It's, it's interesting. They they words that they do work. So if you think of tie, you think of maybe bond. That works. I also like. Um, Love is what it takes to meet. Again, that doesn't seem quite right. But if you take meet as to know someone, to kind of meet them, you know, in in, a, in, a, in honesty rather than in physical, you know, meet someone halfway, meet someone's... Then that's quite a powerful way to say something, isn't it? It mm. kind of reminds me of translations where the unusual word choice brings out a kind of unexpected poetry when, yeah, you know, yeah. y- y- you find that, yeah. So they are slight. So I'm not going to get carried away but I'm going to give it 75 for lyrics. Yeah, I think it, this nursery rhyme aspect of it as well, yeah. you've got a, a, a lovely pattern in the, in the melody that you just need something simple to go with. And 
if you've got give peace a chance on one side, which is a big statement, but still very, very simple. Yeah. Albeit the verses are just stuffed full of words. Absolutely, and you need yeah. you need this on the other side to balance it out. <laughs> yeah. And um, and that it does very well. So I think I said it, but 75 for lyrics, 77.7 overall. Let's get on to the next song. And that is Sally G by Paul McCartney and Wings. The nightlife took me down to Prince's Alley Where Sally sang a song behind the bar I ran my eyes across her as she sang a tangled mind I used to love to hear her sweet guitar And they called her Sally Sally G. Paul Hmm well, a B-side. Okay. B-side of Junior's Farm. Uh, right. A Nashville sounding song recorded in Nashville. Right, that's a good place to record a Nashville song. <laughs> yeah. So this is released on the 25th of October, 1974. Uh, yeah, Junior's Farm's the A-side in the UK. Yeah. Uh, it gets, which gets to 16 in the charts, spends 10 weeks in the charts. It's a non-album single. And being a piece of Nashville styled stuff mm-hmm. in america you know this gets its own ind- independent airplay and does really well in the country charts oh okay unsurprisingly because it's it's really good yeah. Yeah. yeah they record it on the 9th of july 1974 in the sound shop studios in nashville where they were so paul basically gets another lineup of wings going at this point right and he goes <laughs> his habit in the 70s was like well we need to go off somewhere all together yeah and be a band you know I think he's constantly was trying to simulate the notion of like the early days of the Beatles where they had to be hanging out together. They had yeah. to be lumped together. But it, he's now a big rock star. So he's the, he's saying things like, let's go and do it on a boat. Let's go and do it on a on in America. Let's go to Africa or whatever. Yeah. And in this case, he's like, Look, we're all going up to a farm in Nashville. Uh, the problem was that not everyone in that version of Wings got on with each other, so it wasn't right. necessarily a success. But it did produce a few good songs, of which I would say this is definitely one. Okay. Well, it's a country song. It is. We, we know that much. He's at it again, genre hopping. Though I would say that normally I think he does more to make it his own than he does here. I think this is pretty straight down the middle country here, and that has its limitations. So... Mm-hmm. I guess I guess he does it well, but it's not my favourite genre in this form for the most part. The the, the mid eight start to be a bit more my bag, but that that's only the mid eight and it meanders a bit and then it's back to kind of boring old hoedown territory. It's just not for me this kind of this 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 genre anyway. I like country music when it's a bit more um, less hoedowny and more I don't know ho uppy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to be down on this. It's catchy enough, and he sings it with his little Tennessee accent in his voice, whatever it is, his little Rocky Raccoon voice that he does. Mm-hmm. He's got his little lilt on there. But Except Rocky... when he goes, take it, chaps, <laughs> at the end. But Rocky Raccoon is something else, where this is just what it is. Just, you know, boom. 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 <laughs> Sorry. You said boom and then just stopped. <laughs> I know. I meant to say um, bomb, bomb, bomb on bass. You know, bomb, bomb, bomb. Fiddle players. Yeah. I just said boom instead. <laughs> um, but it, and a lot of slow st- 
stepping in barns. I just, it's just. I've you don't just, like this I style, like do you? Really? No. I think I like my country with a mix of rock or folk or blues or something to water it down or to liven it up or something. It has to be epic, not twee. This is a bit twee and forgettable for my liking. It's not bad. It's just not a patch on his best stuff for me. But it isn't bad, so I'm going to give it 61 for music because I'm sure it's a good country tune. If you... Well, I'll, let me tell you about who plays on it. So obviously yeah. Paul does vocals, uh, acoustic guitar, and I assume I assume bass, actually, although it wasn't listed on where I was checking. Uh, Linda and, and Denny Lane are doing backing vocals. Mm-hmm. Jimmy McCullough's doing acoustic guitar and Jeff Britton on drums. But then what they've got alongside that is they have a chap called Lloyd Green playing Dobro, which is like the metal resonator guitar thing. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a guy called Johnny Gimbal on violin, but also a guy called Bob Wills playing violin. Now, Bob Wills was in a band called Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. Right. And they were a group in the sort of early days, pre-rock and roll, who who were sort of one of the proponents of the rock and rolls born out of different elements very much a black and white thing together. And people like Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys are sort of representative of that white country sound that becomes part of rock and roll. Okay. So it's amazing that he's playing on this just, you know, quite late in his career at this point, doing yeah. some proper, you know, Texas fiddle stuff. And then apparently Vassa Clements, who I think is another violin player, although again, I can't find it confirmed exactly what he played on, on this here. So, you know, it's a proper Nashville people with him they're not trying to simulate it whereas if he perhaps if he tried to simulate it or they used musicians back home in in britain it might give it more of what you expect of a mccartney country song rather than it sounding really authentic yeah well i mean it is authentic i mean let's go on to the production we can talk about that because you can't argue that this sounds like a country song All all the elements are there jingly jangly guitars slide steel guitars fiddles bumpy bass boom bass bumpy bass and whatnot in fact this sounds so country it feels like the single finger country setting on a keyboard you know yeah i know exactly what you mean so i can't say there's anything wrong or revolutionary about it so i'm going to give it 75 for production yeah it's a proper nashville sound they they know how to record things like the dobro guitars the pedal steels and the violins amazingly well um yeah like i say as well they do you mentioned the middle eight where it yeah. shifts into half time, they still they record that well as as they record that good as well. They record that well as good. Yeah, yeah, and that's really nice. That's a nice change to feel and sound with the block harmonies and the stuff. Yeah. Okay. Lyrics then. It's just a pretty standard song about a girl in Texas kind of style thing, isn't it? You know the type. Yeah. I mean, considering this is the man who gave us Rocky Raccoon. I don't feel massively bothered about it. Though I think, again, he's just doing what he set out to do. A little country song in the classic style with a classic kind of female object of his affections. Sally G kind of feels like it comes straight out of, you know, she could appear in lots of songs as Sally G, couldn't you? know, It's handy. Yeah. It rhymes with a lot of things. That You know, that kind of figure of desire. I do like the line, I never thought to ask her what the letter G stood for. Uh, but I know for sure it wasn't good. Yeah, I think that's a really good line. That's like something out of a Neil Innes song. Yeah. A good bit of wordplay there. Yeah, I mean, well, you put Paul McCartney in Nashville for essentially a, yeah. a, posh, a posh holiday, and he goes, I'll just write a Nashville country song. Yeah, exactly. That's what he's he just, that's the thing. I don't begrudge him that fact. I just, you know. 
So right, the, the, the wonderful Paul McCartney Project website has, it says, um, according to Skull Shulman, owner of the Printer's Alley Club mentioned in the song, Paul wrote the song in his bar. It was originally going to be Diane G, named after the country singer Diane Gaffney, but Paul right. changed the name after learning that apparently she once sued a newspaper. So, right. Okay, so he did start off with a real person. And- yeah, and I think on the uh, I read in the Man on the Run book about McCartney in the 70s, it's like, the McCartneys had dinner at the Spanish Galleon-themed country music hangout, The Captain's Table, before moving to the Rainbow Room, where Paul left without settling his $4.75 bar bill. Oh. So he had a night out, he wrote a song, they recorded it. Yeah, he went and out that's- to, to a country western kind of themed bar or restaurant and came away going, I've got an idea, I've got an idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to write a country song. I mean, I'm here. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and the lyrics you come across online as well are wrong in most places. I ran my eyes across her as she sang a tangled mime is listed, and it's not. It's a tangled mine is a mind, rather, is a song by Hank Snow, the country musician, so that's the correct. And like I said before, people transcribe the hit when he says, take it, chaps, in a mm. you know silly English accent, as take a chance. It's not, no, he's just suddenly going English. That's what he's doing there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give it 58 for lyrics, which gives it 64.7 overall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which brings us on to the next song, which is Heart on My Sleeve, Ringo Starr. I wear my heart on my sleeve Don't count the cost If I can live in love Then surely I'd lost You tend to get burned Tend to get bruised But it's my life Whatever I choose Oh, I Just want to let you know Heart on my sleeve, Paul. Well, that's good, Gary. I need you to be honest about your feelings. Um, I thought you were going to go a different way with that. <laughs> no, I thought about it, and I bet I know what you're thinking about. Was, yeah, it's it's something yeah. about liver on my kneecap. Yeah. You know, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever, you know, I yeah, let's move on. Okay. Because I'm interested to see what you think of this. Given how we yeah. felt about the A side of this single, which was Tonight... Oh, was that the A-side? So oh, tonight was the A-side. This is the B-side of that. Oh, he's got it the wrong way around. That's all, I think. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, it comes out on the 21st of July, 1978. As we know, this does not chart. It's his last release on the Polydor label. Mm-hmm. It comes from the album Bad Boy, which was recorded, as we discussed before, in November 1977 in Vancouver and the Bahamas for tax reasons. <laughs> it's Vinnie Poncia producing with Ringo, you know, co-producing. And it's another cover, right. so it's not a it's not a Ringo yes, song. It's it, a Gall- yes. Gallagher and Lyle. I had song. stumbled upon that fact whilst I was looking into it. Yeah, so it's and it was obviously a popular song because they had a number six hit with it in their yeah. version of it, which is odd because I listened to that and I think it's rubbish. Um, and Brian Ferry also did a version of it. Well, you would, wouldn't he? Yeah, you've got Brian Ferry. Copying Ringo left, right, and centre. Um, so yeah. Well, go on, Gary. I mean, I, I think this is where you. I don't know if you what you'll think of this, but I quite like this. 
I know he didn't write it because I had a hard time finding a good version I could listen to and yeah, well, I, I mean, stumbling across the Gallagher and Lyle version. And trying to find a copy of this to listen to is really difficult, isn't yeah. it? Because you have to find someone who's uploaded the whole album to yes, YouTube. Yes, the whole album you have to kind of skip and split to. it up. Yeah, and, there uh, isn't even someone who's just uploaded it as a standalone single. There's the video of him doing it in the year three thousand. <laughs> oh, the, well, yeah. So this features in a live version in the Ringo TV special, which I'm yes. sure we should do a special about. We, I, one day. I want to watch that. Yeah, that'd be. Yeah, great. I think we'll do a special on that. Yeah, yeah. It's great because he's playing on this weird pyramid stage, like he's trapped in some sort of light entertainment phantom zone. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's Ringo plays the Thunderdome. Um, yeah, but I think it's a good song choice for Ringo. It's a good melody. You can see it having mass appeal in the mainstream ballad crooner kind of a way. And I'm not surprised, therefore, to see that Brian Ferry appropriated it for his reign of terror. It's got a nice groove, and as all good ballads, it has a descending bass line with a kind of a minor shift. Lots of slushy strings and that, and the occasionally nice variation to show some hope in there. I mean, it's not Hey Jude or Let It Be or at that level, but it's a solid ballad, and Ringo sings it well. And his version is nicely played and orchestrated. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's done much better with this than he would have done he would have done much better with this than he did with tonight so you think it should have been the other way around yeah definitely i suspect well, I, that it I still think, wouldn't I think have tonight charted should never have been on the beat anywhere near any media device to play music back to people but this this feels to me like if you wrote you know if i was gallagher and lyle and i wrote the song and got a number six hit with it i would have thought yeah that's about right <laughs> you know it's about a number six hit kind of song i think you know, it's, it's, I, yeah. One thing we we've got to remember, and this must have been going through Ringo's mind at the time, is we. So we're we're divorced from the context of the late seventies here. Yes, the charts were full of stuff that sounded like this. Right yeah. at the time, stuff which I can't stand, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah, and so it's 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 not a shock that Ringo struggling for stuff to do him and Vinny and whoever would have gone, well, let's do a cover of that and a cover of that. These sorts of things that have been hits for other people in this style of the period. Um, I think he's lost, you know, and he was better off (laughs) probably writing his own stuff even, but... Well, um, yeah, I mean, out of this and tonight, I mean, yeah. I agree that this is better than tonight, but to me it just goes round and round. Yeah, well, it is. It's just that kind of song. I still, you know, it's not. As I say, it's, 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 it's just. I mean, I'm only giving it 68 for music. Did I tell you that? 68 no. for music. Right. I'm giving it because it's. I, you know, and I say I'm liking it. I'm talking in the context of something like tonight. I think I mean, it's essentially the same band as tonight, as because yeah. they were the people who recorded that album. So Ringo's doing the drums and vocals, Dee Murray on bass guitar, Lon Van Eaton on lead guitar, Jimmy Webb on rhythm guitar, mm-hmm. Doctor John on keyboards, okay. Hamish Bi- Hamish Bissonette on synthesizers, and there is some weird little synth bass parts in this. Yeah. Um, well, D- Doug Riley doing the string arrangements and conducting. Well, that takes us into production, and I I think this is produced quite well. Um, I quite like the synths in it, and there's some nice acoustic and clean guitar and clean bass underpinning it. Um, Ringo's beat is solid and reliable. The producer... I think it's almost too solid. I'm picking you up on that. Okay. This is my problem with it, right? Because this is somewhere between music and production, because it's about production decisions. Yeah. Ringo is... Ringo is... Well, he's so rock steady, isn't he, Ringo? Yeah. 
that a song like this, it needs to have a little push. It needs to move and shift a little bit. Mm-hmm. More energy, more weight as it goes along. And Ringo just keeps it steady as a rock. Yeah. And that's part of it, for me, makes it feel very roundy and roundy. While that stupid flangey guitar sound's going on. <laughs> we just don't agree on this song. I was just saying that, I'm reading my next line, which is, the producer and guitarist work through lots of soft chorus echo and reverb sounds, which are very appropriate for this song. <laughs> I, I think I, it, no I'm not going to criticize your scoring it's yeah. just I'm just not a fan of this style of thing yeah no, no I mean it, it, yeah again I don't know I think this can pass by my ears easier than um, like the country one can I think this is the kind of thing I can give a, I can take or leave this and it, I'm not going to go and put it on but I, when it's on it'll be yeah whatever it's alright I quite like their little kind of all the nice little soft sounds, the kind of settings on your guitar pedals you very rarely get to use. Um, I think the vocal backing is blended nicely into the mix rather than trying to drown out Ringo. They've trusted his voice on this, and rightly, it suits him. I think it suits him as a song to sing. I think they've done right a good on. job, and I like it. There's some nice little rim shot, cowbell sounds in there as well. They give a ticking layer to the rhythm. It has a... If you listen, there's, there's a little scrapey, ticky-tick kind of sounds going on along with the um drums yeah got like a clockwork type of thing to it i'm gonna give it 81 for production paul just to spite you no right do what you like no i'm not I I, i'm just gonna give it an 81 for production i, I think this is this is a good one for what it is right lyrics then well, um, he didn't write them did he well he didn't write them but we we've you know made the the strange decision to score lyrics and covers for this series um i think it's a good topic for ringo kind of downtrodden lovelorn territory suits him doesn't it and he yeah, does it well. yeah he has done that a few times you know he cuts a kind of lovable sad figure unfortunately um ringo does wear his heart on his sleeve from all accounts doesn't he he's quite a sensitive yeah, boy yeah quite, um and it, it has that melancholy i'm down but i can pick myself up and get through it and it was worth the loss for the love etc etc you know it's it's not that much really to it, but it's just enough to carry the music through and quite relatable, I would have thought, for some people who wear their hearts on their sleeve. Unlike me, who wears it very much, um, preferably behind my top pocket or thereabouts. You had to um, think then, didn't you? I did. I was trying to think, where's my heart? Um, where is your heart, Gary? Where is my heart? That sounds like another song that they could have knocked out. Um so I'm going to give it 62 for lyrics, which gives it 70.3 overall. Righto. So this is one of his better scorers, Paul, so far. Well, like I say, I think we should do a special on the Ringo TV special. I can't wait. Yeah, I we'll we'll do that at some point. Some of the mad stuff you've mentioned about it already sounds great. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, the video for this online has a little bit just before he walks onto that stage where you're thinking, what's that all about? So, Great. Let's do our final one for this week, Paul. And we're back with Macca and Wings with I'm Carrying. A long time no see, baby, sure has been a while. And if my reappearance lacks a sense of style, I'm carrying. Something 
carrying, Paul. You're not. I'm sat separately well away from you. Uh, if you tried to carry me now, you would oh, you'd know about it. I'm carrying Paul. Oh, I see. Yeah, I know. I was just yeah. being silly, really, wasn't I? Um, mm. Yeah, so this is the B-side to the London Town single, which comes out in 20, 26th of August, 1978. So this is, you know, this is roughly contemporary with the Ringo song we've just been talking about. Okay. Uh, this comes out on the Parlophone label. It gets mm-hmm. to number well, London Town, the A side gets to number sixty in the in the chart, so it's not a big hit. Uh, the associated album is London Town, mm-hmm. written by Paul, produced by Paul, and recorded like I was mentioning earlier. This one in the Virgin Islands on a yacht that he's had converted into a studio, right. so he can mess around on boats. Right. Well, why not? And then some overdubs back at Air Studios in uh, December of 1977. Right. So yeah, he wanted us. He wanted to do some recording somewhere warm, and he wanted to mess about on boats. So he decided to make his life really easy by having a boat kitted out with a studio, and not knowing anything about boats. What a sausage! Yeah, it's it's somehow it's sort of. Charming naivety and rock star excess at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose when you got all that kind of... I say got all that money, he was always still worrying about all that stuff, wasn't he? Mm. Um, at that time. Well, this is the first time on me, this one. Mm-hmm. Was it one you were used to? Had you no, heard? I don't know it at all, really. Yeah. This, is, this is the joy of doing this. Is that, oh, good. As I confessed right up front of this whole series, is I actually don't know, certainly B-sides don't know very well at all. I get the feeling that, you know, that pitched about right with the people who, who at least our listeners who keep in touch with us on Twitter and things, that everyone's yeah. on the same boat, really. There's such a lot of stuff and once they've gone four separate ways and they've got B-sides and stuff, especially in there, it, it does... Mm. We've teased out some 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 um, lesser known stuff, and unusually for a Macca song, this one doesn't grab me immediately, and it's taking a little while to get going for me at the time of kind of mm. writing and listening. A lot of this hinges around that first melodic descent in the phrase, um, you know, then uh, it goes into the I'm carrying bit, and um, that doesn't carry much weight, I don't think. I think he's one of his mu- in one of his musical cul-de-sacs a bit here. He has to kind of go through it and come back round to get to the other end. I don't know if cul-de-sac's the right word. Roundabout's probably better. It's one of those ones. I understand where he's coming from when he's written it. He's he, but he's got that McCartney circularity that has to resolve itself and then doesn't seem to break free enough. Okay. I just think it's 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 an idea that just because he's had it doesn't mean he had to finish it. You know. It has almost the same simple feel as Remember Love, but it doesn't achieve that soulful level for some reason. It doesn't doesn't connect with me in, in that same way. The problem is that it's perfectly nice, and that's it. I don't think it's a great week for Macca this week. I just find it, if you know, a little dull if sweet, sweet and dull, like a like a thick hamster. <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's. I, I don't know. Do you see what I mean? Or I don't know. What do you think? Um, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. It, again, he's perfectly capable of producing these miniatures, let's call yeah, them, it is, yeah. which is it is him and a guitar. Essentially, there's obviously something else going on here. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, there's he's using his little voice. This sort of yeah. and he he talks about his little voice because this is featured in the lyrics book, so it is in there. Okay. Where I've just noticed that it says and Abbey Road Studios, but everywhere else says it was overdubbed at Air Studios. So mm, who's right? Um, yeah, I, d- I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm a big fan of this sort of macca, but it doesn't quite, yeah, reach the emotional depths. And it's another one where he's sort of saying in, his, in the lyrics book, so what's it about? Well, you decide. Yeah. And well, I think that yeah. perhaps suggests a lack of... Yeah. Uh, commitment to the um i mean it is a beast notion and it is you know yeah anyway i suspect i like it more than you but yeah. um i still like it more than sally g oh interesting um i prefer to listen to this out of the two of them but i wouldn't listen to either of them that much so i said 65 for music so production I, i've got nothing nothing wrong with the way it's produced i don't think that the choices made affect the outcome that much well, I don't think. Well, go on then. Well, what? What then? What other choices made? Well, obviously to record his voice and acoustic guitar. But then, yeah. what else have we got on there? Strings hmm. towards the end. Well, have we got strings, or have we got the Gizmotron? <laughs> well, I couldn't possibly say. I've never that, heard that, of a Gizmotron. Well, that was a cul-de-sac you weren't expecting me to turn into, wasn't it? <laughs> no. um, so basically, there was a band called Ten CC, who you will have heard of. I've heard of them. Yes, and um, two of them, Godley and Krem, who are very interesting and creative people, um, a lot into technology, invented a thing that ended up being called the Gizmotron, or Gizmo. Right. And it was a thing, you can buy a new version of it these days. Yeah. It was an absolute abject failure as a product at the time. Right. It was a thing that clipped onto your guitar over the strings. Okay. And it consisted of several little wheels... Little wheels. Little wheels. And those little wheels had notches in them and you would power it on. Right. And those wheels would turn and play your strings constantly. Ah. So you could like, almost like people may have heard of a thing called an Ebo. An Ebo, I have Which does does something different without physical contact. Similar with kind of magnetics, doesn't it? Yeah. But this was a physical thing where the wheels were playing the strings. And so you you can use it to generate string style sounds. Infinite sustain. Yeah, yeah, long long notes with a long, different quality to them that you can't sounding get. Notes. And so what Paul clearly has decided to do here is use the Gizmotron to generate a string part. Um, so it's quite hard to tell when you listen closely if there are synths or actual strings. I at thought first thought, no, that must be strings. Yeah. Especially the ones that sound like cellos. But it might not be. It might all be Gizmo. Oh. Um and I assume that's what he would have done back in Air Studios rather than out on the boat because the gizmo um, was apparently just a thing that would break all the time. If, you know, it was interesting and fun to play with, but if the parts broke, you couldn't replace them. Yeah. And it wasn't cheap. And so it didn't sell. Um, so they sold the, you know, the design on and then it, it flopped. But someone's invented a version of it now that looks like it's more... Ooh, um, look into that fixable but it's really worth looking up everyone online if you look up um, on youtube you can find uh, uh, the video of the the godly and creme gizmotron demo record right. which is an insane piece of music 
that he cool. should he should get, get and listen to. But yeah, Paul's decided to try and use it on this to, to do some stuff. Yeah. And I think it works quite well. I think they've managed yeah. to be quite subtle about it, really. Well, the only note, the only note I have on it is that I quite like the surge of the strip, what I thought was strings towards the end. And I wonder if bringing them in earlier would have maybe lifted it, perhaps, because I think they're quite late on, I think. So um, I gave it 77 for production. Right. Mm. Well, I had no knowledge of the Gizmotron or anything. Just thought it was some strings, but yeah, yeah. So I think that's why. I, yeah, seventy-five would have been just him and his voice, him and his voice, him and his guitar and his voice. But like um, having those things at the end kind of gives it a couple of points. So lyrics then. So I have to admit, when I first saw the title of the song, I thought it was going to be a song about gun ownership, Paul. Oh. Um, or it might well be because it never. Actually I think says that's what, one of the things that he's basically said. Oh yeah, if it could be about that, if you wanted it to be. What is? You know. Yeah, because what's he carrying? Could be. Drugs. There are a couple of other meanings that rule themselves out. One is carrying a gun. Another is carrying drugs. Although yeah. being Paul in the seventies, he probably was carrying yeah. drugs. Uh, he could be carrying an ocelot. It could be carrying an ocelot. He could be yeah. carrying. He could be carrying that um, hamster you mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the mystery doesn't improve. Uh, the words that much though, like I think they're a little bit like the music, and that they're not, they're not really kind of uh, inspiring me very much. By dawn's first light, I'll come back to your room again with my carnation hidden by the packages. I'm carrying something. I'm yeah. carrying something. He basically you. he put in his lyrics book, so he could say, "I don't really know what it's about." Still, I wrote it. <laughs> it was ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Ah, long no time no see, baby. Sure has been a while, and if my reappearance lacks a sense of style, I'm carrying something for you. I'm carrying something for you. It's a, it's um, yeah, it's a bit weird actually, isn't it? It's a bit eerie. It's a bit odd a bit that it's made its way yeah. into the into the lyrics book, but yeah, um, a strange one to pick out. One that is like I don't know what that is. Yeah. But they're just a bit uninspired and flat, like a Tory politician under a steamroller. So let's give it fifty for lyrics. <laughs> Which gives it 64 overall. So. I'll just uh, mention the Washington Post reviewing this single, mm-hmm. or re- reviewing the album, rather, that um, it was on. Uh, it says, I'm Carrying has a pretty melody, and McCartney's voice is still boyish and unpretentious, but the song has the most apparent non-lyrics since My Love. Oh, well, My Love's straightforward, isn't it? It's just yeah. My Love. It's not non-lyrics. They're just They're just... They don't need much. Anyway, I'm not going to argue with a person who wrote an article 30, how 45 years ago, whatever it is. Um, oh, yeah. So, um, okay. I was trying to work out how long ago 1978 was, but given that's the year I was born, I actually know. Yeah, four, 44 years ago then. Shut up. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, as that's the end of it, Paul. That's, that's, <laughs> right that's it. Um, so we can just do the, the chart. Now I'm wondering, can we still do a full chart here? I think I'll give it a whirl with 20 songs. I think this might be the last week and we'll have to start... Um, yeah, dividing it up. D- dividing. But we'll, we'll, we'll stick with them. We'll stick with the, with the full chart for now. So, here we go. Ready? Okay. Yes. At number 20, Ringo Starr tonight. At number 19, Yoko Ono and John Lennon. Don't worry, Kyoko, etc. At number 18, A Dose of Rock and Roll, Ringo Starr. At number 17, I'm Carrying, Paul McCartney. At number 16, Paul McCartney again, Sally G. At number 15, Blind Man by Ringo Starr. At number 14, Oh My My, Ringo Starr. At number 13, it's Ringo Starr with Heart on My Sleeve. At number 12, George Harrison, Faster. At number 11, Paul McCartney, Hi, Hi, Hi. At number 10, George Harrison, This Song. 
At number nine, Your Love Is Forever, George Harrison. At number eight, Remember Love, Yoko and the Plastic Ono Band. At number seven, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, Yes, I'm Your Angel. At number six, John Lennon and Number Nine Dream. At number five, My Love, Paul McCartney. At number four, Maya Love, George Harrison. At number three, Jet, Paul McCartney. And at number two, Paul McCartney with Band on the Run. And at number one, Another Day, Paul McCartney. So there we go, Paul. Yes, that's a strange it. chart. It is, and I'm just like we were saying, it's it's odd that we've not had any absolute huge Lennon numbers out really yet. No, they must be coming soon. They must be, and they're going to make waves. I'm sure. Um, there's there's little clusters of Ringo and clusters of Paul at the top, and John in, and Yoko in the middle, and George is kind of peppered a little bit. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yes, it is interesting. Yes, it is. It is it's well, I hope so. I hope yeah. it's interesting to Well, I find this. it interesting. Well, I find it interesting. That's all that matters. Um, well, it's not. It helps if people listening find it interesting too. We hope you do. And if you do, let us know. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Remember, Beatles. <laughs>